And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. It is a great pleasure to welcome to our show, Mr. Todd Goodwin. He is one of the few hypnotists, one in 500, to earn the title of Board Certified Fellow by the National Guild of Hypnotists. He's also a Master Practitioner of Neurolinguistic Programming, NLP, to discuss before a little more about Todd by going to his practice at goodwinhypnosis.com. Mr. Goodwin, welcome to our show. Thank you, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So gone through some of your previous interviews and things that you've covered, and I find hypnosis extremely fascinating. Can you please uh, give a quick uh, overview of how the subconscious mind affects our waking reality and how powerful it is or how significant it is? Sure. Well, Ryan, um, the subconscious mind as a concept, as opposed to a brain and looking at different regions of the brain can be very complicated. So uh, when I explain to my clients why they have certain emotional patterns or behavioral challenges that they can't seem to change with willpower or simple, rational thinking, um, I, I explain to them that you know, we have a conscious mind and a subconscious mind. And while the conscious mind is what we like to think of as, you know, we're very rational humans and everything, we wear nice shirts. And <laughs> the reality is um, that only controls a very small portion of what we do, and namely analysis, willpower, and long-term thinking. So your conscious mind is concerned about your your goals and making sure that you are healthy and you make enough money and that kind of thing. But the subconscious, which controls most of everything we do, um, including our physical functions and everything, and especially our emotions and our habits and our, uh, I know whenever I explain this, I often then become aware that I'm, you know, moving my hand unconsciously when I'm speaking. And that mm -hmm. is also a subconscious program. And so the subconscious focuses on the very short term in really the next few minutes. And it's primarily concerned with self-preservation and um, feeling good or getting out of feeling not good. And so if you understand that, then you understand that the subconscious controls a certain emotional states or all emotional states really, but that contribute to fear fear, anxiety, stress, and all of that, because fear is the subconscious mind's way of <clears throat> protecting us from a perceived threat. Even if it's not real, it could just be imagined, mm -hmm. like someone who has a fear of flying and imagines that this is the day that the plane is going to crash. That's even me. though, right, logically, the person may know that the it's, you know, a hundred times safer than driving, which they may not have a problem with. But if in their imagination they imagine this is the plan that's going to crash. 
then their subconscious creates fear to help them avoid getting on the plane or to get off the plane before the door closes, which as frustrating and maybe embarrassing as that is, is actually an appropriate response, assuming their perception that the plane is going to crash is accurate. So the problem is not the emotional response. The problem is the thought or belief or perception that causes the emotion. And so the subconscious care, uh, you know, is trying to help us avoid danger, even if it's imagined. And most of the time it is just imagined. And then it also is focused on making us feel good. And this explains addictions and compulsive behaviors. So if you're feeling stressed or just, you know, a little down, your subconscious says, even though it's probably creating that feeling to begin with, which is kind of the rub here, but the subconscious then says, oh, well, I don't like how we're feeling. Let's try to do something to feel better. I know having a beer always seems to help. Or why don't we go have a cigarette? Or let's go on social media and see if we have any likes. Or let's go eat some food. Let's check out what's in the fridge. Whatever. And this explains why most people have some form of compulsive behavioral problem, which is actually a symptom usually of an emotional issue that they have habitually. And they're both caused by the subconscious. So this is looking at the negative side of what the subconscious does for us. But ultimately, I think of the subconscious as a as a horse um, or any kind of animal that can be trained. It's very powerful. If it's not disciplined or trained, and especially if it's been mistreated earlier in its life, um, and, and mo most of my focus is on uh, neutralizing emotional trauma as the underlying cause of emotional and behavioral problems. So if that horse has been traumatized earlier in its life, and then it shows up on your doorstep or in your yard, you might say, wow, this horse can help me plow my field, or maybe I can put my little daughter on the horse and she can have a horsey ride, or I can show it off to my friends. Well, but then when you try to feed it, it bites you and then it kicks the barn door and it runs around and it throws the, your daughter off and she hurts herself. And you're like, wow, this this shit's not working. <laughs> so the problem is the horse has a lot of power, but it's untrained or it's disturbed. And as a result, it's going to act out in ways that actually can make your life a lot worse. But with the proper training, with the proper rehabilitation of that horse, and I'll come back to reality from the metaphor in a moment, then that horse can actually work with you instead of against you. So the subconscious, most everyone manages to come out of childhood with some bumps and bruises um, emotionally and some uh, problems that they have learned. The key thing here is that nearly all emotional or behavioral problems are learned, which means they can be unlearned, um, including trauma, trauma responses you know, painful memories, all those things can be unlearned because they're learned. And it also means that the subconscious, once it is balanced, will work with the conscious mind, which then allows someone to be aligned with their goals and be able to achieve those goals more easily without willpower, without, you know, extensive, uh, you know, positive affirmations or, or uh, analysis. They just are congruent and things tend to flow. But without that, uh, then there's internal conflict, which raises the stress level and then creates a vicious cycle of emotional and behavioral problems. That was amazing the way you explained that. 
I feel like oh, you, you. you explained about an hour's worth of material in a very short period of time. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And when you look at the subconscious mind at how it does have a substantial influence over our daily lives, you're talking about how people, you know, when they're younger, I guess they have things. And I, one of your previous interviews, you, you talked about the influence where a parent will tell, tell a child, don't talk to strangers or be careful. And while that's very good for childhood, it doesn't necessarily apply for business. Correct. If you look at the subconscious mind and you're trying to, let's say, correct some of the behaviors, is what has a greater weight on permanently changing the subconscious mind? Is it through repetition? Is it through trauma? Why does trauma in some way, shape, or form have, uh, seems to have a bit of a, a powerful impact as opposed to repetition? You're talking about learning in general, whether it's yes. negative or positive? Whether, yep, I'm talking about the subconscious mind. Yeah, that's Thank a great question, Ryan. Thank you. Um, yeah, so there are several types of learning, but let's, you know, you mentioned repetition. So mm -hmm. repetition is what we're most familiar with, which is a very lengthy and labor intensive way of repeating or a lot of school uh, work and school learning is based on this, or even practicing learning how to tie your shoes when you're two or three or whatever. Um, eventually, and by the way, learning to drive a car, which more people remember than learning to tie their shoes is a repetitive thing. And so basically what happens there is you're learning something that is very complex and there's at least a dozen different things that your driving teacher teaches you to pay attention to simultaneously, which is overwhelming. And most people, the first time they learned to drive a car, when they were, when they were learning it, it was very overwhelming, very stressful. They were probably nervous. But eventually what happens is their subconscious through repetition basically says, oh, I, I see what we're doing here. Let me, let me take that off your hands so you can focus on something else. And that's how once you know how to drive or do any complex behavior, you can do a dozen things simultaneously, including things you probably shouldn't be doing like texting or talking on the phone mm. while driving, but you can still do it most of the time pretty well. Because the subconscious is handling all the things like looking at the mirror and, 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 you know, handling the changes of lanes and all those different things. Um, and so the subconscious through repetition, in order to be more efficient, takes on these behaviors. And this is really the brain's process of becoming very efficient. Conscious effort uses a lot of energy. Subconscious actions use a lot less. They're shortcuts. And so... Um, that's repetition. And that's what we're most familiar with. But if you think about how a lot of phobias are learned, because they're learned, they're not born. Um, usually it's called single trial learning. And trauma is one of these situations, whether it's a repeated traumatic experience, or, you know, like most is just one, like a car accident or being, you know, uh, assaulted mm -hmm. uh, with a weapon, something like that. So the brain, in order to survive, is really good at learning very quickly. In fact, it's better at learning quickly and unlearning quickly, which is key for the work that I do, um, than it is long, drawn out, and slow and repetitive. <clears throat> so if you think about someone who, I mean, and I've had many clients, maybe you heard this story, um, who who had 
various types of trauma. Some were what we would consider significant and others were minor, but they still had an outsized effect on that person as an adult. So one example was a woman who was coming, approaching her house and some guy jumped out of the bushes and, and held her at gunpoint or knife. I don't remember which, but this is like 10, 12 years ago, but she, you know, from that point on for until I met her, she couldn't go to her house by herself without feeling very panicky. Um, even though she knew logically that was very unlikely to happen again, she had flashbacks. Her nervous system was immediately triggered when she saw the environment that was associated with that initial threat. And so in order to protect her, her subconscious mind, you know, says, okay, when, when we have this very distressing experience, it takes a picture of everything she was seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling, smell is a big trigger for emotions at the time. And then anytime in the future, anything similar to those things appears. We'll What's that? We'll trigger it. Yes. And so the subconscious, so think of it as, and, and this is an important concept. We think the subconscious is, you know, when we see the angel and the devil in the cartoon, mm. it's the devil, not literally, but it's like this saboteur, this self-destructive bad part of us that just ruins everything in our life. Anyone who has addictions will, will, will agree with that. However, really the subconscious is also on our side. It's our friend. It's trying to help, but it's doing it in a way that's not necessarily good for us in the long run. So with this woman, she was having trouble going to her house, which clearly is a problem, but it's just a symptom of that single trial learning, meaning she didn't have to be mugged a dozen times to get the message that she was in danger. Once was enough. Another another client I had when she was a child was separated from her parent in a store for 10 minutes or so when she was maybe four. And for her, that was like an existential threat, kind of like the client who walked to her house. And that was causing her to have fear of abandonment as a 30-something-year-old woman and ruining all of her relationships with potential boyfriends because she wow. was thingy. Once we cleared the emotional charge from that memory, I'm simplifying the process, but when we did that with both of these women, uh, they they could go about their business without being affected by that event that had happened in the past, whether it was 30 years or you know, six months. So that's, so trauma is, is a, is a very quickly learned experience. And so the subconscious learns very quickly. And that's why things like, uh, uh, danger and the news knows this because they put very scary kind of mm -hmm. content there to, you know, like the media to get you negatively aroused. And then they go to commercial and sell you pharmaceuticals and mm -hmm. alcohol and fast food, which all of which are supposed to make you feel better. And this is a very effective, if unethical, but very effective advertising strategy. So, and you know, in PR, PR can be very, uh, it can be done ethically, or if you go back yeah. to the origin of PR and, and how the Nazis used it shortly thereafter, very unethically, but it's still effective. So if you can create fear in someone, they're going to be suggestible which means their mind is very open to influence. And then it it gives the person who is creating that fear or, or triggering the fear, I should say, because the mind creates it. Mm. It gives them an opportunity to manipulate that person in a way that's not in their best interest. So obviously the person, the parents who separated themselves by accident from the daughter or the woman who is mugged, the the other person in the relationship there was not saying, Oh, how can I 
mess this person up. The parents, it was an accident. The mugger just wanted her, her wallet or purse or something. But the reaction to that experience is a learned, is a lesson or a belief that's learned. I'm not safe approaching my house at night or I'm not safe when I get separated from someone I'm dependent on. So like you said, that belief may be useful when you're a child or it may be useful in some context, but because that's not a rational thought, it becomes this universal belief. And then anytime something like that shows up, the subconscious sounds the alarm bells, fight or flight response kicks in, and then the person is either going to escape or avoid from that avoid that situation, or they're going to do whatever they can do to alleviate the anxiety. So, um, so that's so we learn better, for better or for worse. Mm. Uh, we learn fast is the fast is the best way to learn, and that works unfortunately more commonly for what we would think of as negative experiences. Oh, I, I but it can be unlearned. That's the key. Sorry to interrupt you, but it can. Oh, wait. Oh, that's great. No, I want to talk about it. And then I know we have um, a little time, but I want to go into your practice. And I also want to uh, share something with you and our audience is that I'm currently in this process right now where I'm I'm working with my subconscious mind to uh, get a dopamine hit from positive things. So I became very obsessed right now, ironically, with walking. So I used to go at night and have a few beers at night. Now I, I go for a walk and I'm walking and I'm, I'm kind of becoming obsessed with it. And I'm kind of u- utilizing the same pattern that what I was from those things. So I can say from firsthand that if you work with subconscious mind, you can make some of these changes. But Tan, when you work with people and you put them in a state of suggestion where they're able to kind of correct these things, what is the best methodology that you're able to do this? How are you able to get them in a state where your suggestions and your work has a powerful effect as opposed to them being in waking consciousness, doing affirmations daily, doing work daily? What is it about your process or the hypnotic process in general that allows for things to happen in a rather quickly fashion? And um, at the same time, does a person have to be in a certain state of relaxation for these things can happen? Can they be in a um, faster waking state and still receive a hypnotic suggestion that would allow them to permanently make changes? Yeah, uh, great questions again. Thank um, you. So simply put, as I describe it, and I'm not the only one, but this is a simple way of thinking about what hypnosis is. This kind of hopefully will demystify a lot of the misconceptions around it. It is simply a state of accelerated learning or unlearning. And most of the work I do is actually helping people unlearn things they learned in their life that are limiting them. So relaxation is not necessary for hypnosis to take place. As I mentioned, you know, um, I didn't mention specifically, but basically advertisements and even the news um, often puts people into a hypnotic state. People experience hypnosis on their own every day, playing video games, mm-hmm. reading a novel, if people even still read, um, you know, uh, watching a movie, responding emotionally is, is a sign of emotional suggestibility. So if someone 
if their heart rate accelerates when they're watching a horror movie or they start to cry when they're watching a romance or something like that, that's a sign that they're hypnotized. So um, hypnosis is a completely natural and safe experience that most people go in and out of a number of times a day. And it's simply just, I know you're somewhat familiar with, um, you know, brainwave yep. frequencies and all of that. So this is just a normal, a normal state of consciousness. It's often referred to as an altered state, but that's only from the frame of reference of the one we're using right now. So when I use it, I mean, I use a variety of different methods, which all of which can facilitate a state of hypnosis, which the person does on their own anyway. But when I'm working with someone, I want to be able to accelerate that process or initiate it more easily. Now, usually relaxation is an important part of it. It's much easier than chasing someone down the street, trying to hypnotize them. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but... <laughs> But relaxation, physical relaxation is not necessary. Even mental relaxation is not, but that's one way of doing it. And it sure as hell is better for business and for uh, client relations than trying to scare the crap out of them. Mm -hmm. um, but if you try to scare someone, they become very suggestible as well. That's just not how I roll. I try to help people be less afraid. I want to just pause for just one second. That I'm so glad you brought that up because we've had two of our previous guests that have said the reason why people are in this fearful state and is because they're doing that on purpose so that people could be suggested and uh, acquiesced to whatever they're pushing. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, that was a really excellent point you brought up. You're talking about like the media and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, pe yeah, media, yeah. people are pushing things out there. Yeah, for sure. And, and if you think about even, you know, post 9-11 going back to that, which now seems like ancient history, but mm -hmm. Um, when people are afraid, they they become open to, as I said, open to suggestion. Suggestion, put another way, because that's kind of a, what does that really mean? Um, they become open to feedback, instruction, direction from some perceived authority figure. Now, with my clients... I am a perceived authority figure because they can do certain things a lot better than I can. And I can do the hypnosis stuff a lot better than they can, or else they wouldn't be seeing me. So they are allowing me to lead them in a metaphorical dance where I'm leading and they're following. And as long as we both want that process to continue, then it continues to their benefit. If either they or I want to end it, then it will end. So hypnosis is not mind control. It's not sleep. There's nothing scary or harmful about it. It is simply a natural state of heightened receptivity to outside influence or inside if the person is doing self-hypnosis. But when it comes to media and fear, Ryan, um, the when you know I mentioned 9-11, so that's mm -hmm. like a macro event. And a micro event is someone who gets severely injured and a first responder shows up on the scene or someone else does like at a car accident, for example, that person is, whether they're watching the news after a terrorist attack and they're hoping the government or someone will protect them or the individual who might be going into shock from blood loss, both of those situations are ones where what they're hearing from the influential party, whether it's the paramedic or mm -hmm. the president of the United States, whatever, is really, really critical 
And usually due to, I would like to think ignorance rather than malice, the person conveying that information might be sending a harmful signal. So if the paramedic were to say, oh my God, I've never seen so much blood, probably not going to be good for the person who's injured to hear. <laughs> um, now, it doesn't mean you'd be a Pollyanna and say, oh, that's just a little scratch. No problem, because they're not going to believe that. There needs to be an empowering way to deliver the message the same way that an oncologist can deliver an empowering prognosis or diagnosis, and as opposed to saying, oh, I'm sorry, you have six months to live. And a lot of people responding to what's called a medical hex will die on command in six months if they see their doctor as the head authority. So when people are afraid after a terrorist attack or some, you know, even a local threat, um, you know, there's a serial killer on the loose in whatever city. Mm -hmm. People's minds open. And this is actually out of self-protection because if you think about where we came from in, in tribal environments, there were leaders or there were other people who were older and knew more. And when we're in danger, we, we need someone to give us input. And most people are followers, not leaders. So they're going to be hoping someone can solve their confusion and tell them what to do. Now, if that person knows what's in everyone's best interest, then they can give them constructive and empowering feedback, which will be useful. If not, they can manipulate them to have them do things that are against their will. So even though, you know, most of the hypnosis that goes on in this world is, and it's a hundred, $150 billion market, as I've often said, but it's not, and the number just keeps going up, but it's not to people like me, it's to the makers of video games and movies and media, because all of those things are hypnotic experiences. And that's why it's so important that people guard what they let into their mind. The damage, the risk is not from professional hypnotists like me and my wife. It's from, you know, the media and other forms of intentional or unintentional harmful info. And those things all have, like social media, very, very strong hypnotic force that can wreak a lot of havoc on society as we're seeing. Um, so ultimately, most of the work that I do, just to play on the word here, is actually dehypnotizing people from the hypnotic states that they have found themselves in due to their own life experiences and due to the exposures they've had from media or other content, um, whether it's a trauma with a big T or just a little T like their dad yelled at them when they were a kid and said they would never amount to anything. And that's affecting their ability to build a business. So pretty much everyone has some unresolved issue that's probably limiting them or harming them in some way in their life. And so it's important that your listeners understand that no matter what that is, it's possible to unlearn the mindset or the belief system that led to the emotional and behavioral effects. And when that happens, it's like pulling the weeds in the garden out by the roots. Once that happens, the entire weed is gone if it's removed effectively and it will not come back. There may be other weeds that will grow in the future. But most of the weeds we have in our garden, Ryan, come from childhood or adolescence. And those those can be unlearned. And then a person can improve their self-worth and their self-respect and their feeling of empowerment and fulfillment. And it's not through positive thinking. It's through 
restoring balance within the mind. I love the answer. Mr. Todd Goodwin, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Todd, I have to say, you were so articulate and I think you gave so much empowering advice for people to really look at how significant their subconscious mind is and how they can work with it. And your, your points are very excellent. So we can learn more about Todd by going to his website at goodwinhypnosis.com. We'll post a link. Uh, also, some of the services they provide, working on relieving stress, smoking, uh, phobia, self-confidence issues. These are all things that uh, you can all be working on. But uh, Todd, I thought you really brought a lot of excellent points out. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the questions and the time. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Take care and thank you so much for listening.